Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Silent Films, back when they took no talking in the movie theater very seriously. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Werewolf Dog. Opening this weekend, see Joseph Gordon Leglift as the dog with the dark side in Werewolf Dog. Welcome everybody to the Pestle. I am Wes, and I am Todd. And did you get it? Did you get the intro? It's like silent films. I did. There's no I dialogue. Did. Get it? No, get, I got it? It. get it? Okay, sorry. I got it. <laughs> so the Pestle is a show where we like to analyze films. Uh, we're filmmakers, writers. I'm a full time writer director. Todd's a full time producer, and so. We try to bring that side of what we know about the process into breaking down and looking at films, um, hopefully to be somewhat informative, lightly entertaining every once in a while. There's what we would call a joke. I put that in quotes. Um, <laughs> we're not particularly funny, but yeah, so we can dive right in today. I think Todd's uh, today we're, we're filming on Easter Sunday uh, and apparently Todd has a very large uh, religious holiday lined up with his family. So. <laughs> you know, <laughs> going to finally you know pull that, uh, pull the you stakes out of is. Jesus's wrists. Are we? <laughs> <laughs> that poor guy's been through enough. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's uh, you know just uh, making a meal for the people that I that the the friends that I have out here. Nice, right? And uh, uh, they're coming over a little bit later. And so we're just kind of like having an ex excuse to get together. Right. You know, because, you know, it, when you get to be in your 40s, you kind of need an excuse to get to right, together with true. other people. Otherwise, you just kind of like sit around and don't associate with other people, um, uh, which I tend to like to do. So, nice. yeah, but that it's it's that it's nothing else, really. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So today. If you haven't seen it, we are covering Chungking Express. So please go pause this episode and watch it. And so that we don't spoil anything because, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff in here. Yeah, we'll we'll touch on a few things. Um, we'll look at some of the cinematography, the step printing uh, that Wong Kar Wai uh, does and has inspired other filmmakers to do. Um, and we'll look at some of the story elements. Um, this is a pretty loose and light style of film. And so maybe we can discuss some of that and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. Two melancholy Hong Kong policemen fall in love, one with a mysterious female underworld figure, the other with a beautiful and ethereal waitress at a late night restaurant he frequents. Written and directed by Wong Kar Wai. Cinematography by Christopher Doyle and Andrew Lau. Starring Brigitte Lin as the woman in the blonde wig. Fei Wong as Fei, Takeshi Kaneshiro as He, Cop 223, and Tony Chu Wai Leung as Cop 663, Valerie Chow as Air Hostess. And no clip today. Uh, I'm sure it's, I mean, we could, I guess we could play like the Mamas and the Papas. But <laughs> <laughs> we could, because that is an amazing song. It I really absolutely is. love that song. It's the best part of, of this movie for me is the usage of that song so, over and over and over again. Yeah, on, on loop. Uh, yeah. So you gave me a sneak peek of your, your thoughts here. You said that you're not a fan. And so elucidate, like what, 
what worked or did not work. I mean, look, I, I hadn't seen, I'd heard of this movie before, mm. but I hadn't seen it. And I realize it's kind of like an iconic, you know, like film. Uh, I've known that for a long time. I just hadn't seen it, but it was very hard for me to get through. And, and I'm and I, I want to start this actually by asking you a question. <laughs> okay. Right. Because, because <laughs> look, I don't care if people, if, if people say, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe you didn't like this movie. And, and, you know, right. how do you call yourself a, a critic? And I'm not a critic, but how do you call yourself like a, a reviewer of film, of great film? If you don't like this movie, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about my opinion. Cause that's just what it is. It's an opinion. You can have yours and I can have mine, but I want to understand it. That's my thing is that, mm. is that I, I don't have a problem not liking something that everybody likes, but I want to fully understand it before I can del before I can throw out my opinion. If I were to just watch this film, I like without having any knowledge of its, its existence, I would say there's something to it, right? There's something about it that is really interesting. And it's really hard for me to grasp, to grab onto what that is because it was so hard for me to get through. So I want to, my question for you is why is this movie like if you had to put if you had to tell me why this movie is great and I'm, when we're in an elevator right and you've got 30 seconds to tell that to me what what would you say to me i would say it's the very heart of independent cinema like imagine all the films coming out in modern modern day 1994 right highly structured very polished everyone knows their lines and everyone delivers their lines on cue with the perfect tear in their eye this is none of that this is completely unstructured e ephemeral emotional um and effervescent in every way that's good and interesting like the visuals were not polished right the uh he's using step printing which i don't know almost any other filmmakers who use this process uh which is that kind of and i'll dive into this at some point but it's that kind of motion blurry like it it's like it's slow motion, but it's not slow motion, um, which is very different from what you see in like Lord of the Rings, where they do this undercranked slow motion where. And so the, he's using some interesting kind of emotional filmmaking. And I it's quirky, like it's a comedy at its heart. It's really a comedy. And I hate rom-coms, right? But this is a rom-com in a way that I've never seen it because it's not about making sure everyone gets together, making sure everyone has you know, their, their perfect happy ending. Uh, it's much more about what are the quirks of humanity? Um, and what are things that, you know, you connect to on a specific, but universal level. Like, I think that's kind of, uh, the shortest I can get the answer, but it's, it's atypical. Yeah. For, especially, you know, when you contextualize 1994, it's romantic without any of the normal romance that you see. Uh, it's, it's, Especially, I mean, historically, I'm no great like historian of romance films, but traditionally up to this point, it feels like most romance films were more about the women and how they were getting beat up by the men. Not, and I don't mean, I don't mean that literally, no, not literally. Right. <laughs> but you know, they're just getting dumped and what was me, you know, whatever, 16 candles, uh, that kind of attitude. Um, and he said, no, what about sad sacks? Let's, let's look at dudes who are just kind of these sad, melancholic, sad sacks that, uh, just struggle. Right. And 
they don't get that what they're doing is unattractive. Um, but this is just how they feel. And so I feel like it was just very countercultural to a lot of the elements that you were seeing um, up to this point. That probably coupled with it's coming from Asian cinema, which took forever to make its way you know, to my neck of the woods because I didn't see this until the mid 2000s, uh, well after the fact, well after I'd seen a bunch of other Asian cinema. But for me watching this, I finally felt like, oh, Asian cinema, it's it's amazing um, because my other experiences were like Audition and Old Boy, uh, which were, you know, amazing films, mm-hmm. but they were more approached to be breakouts. This was not. This was like French New Wave in the mid 90s, uh, which is an incredible idea um, and revolutionary in its own way. Yeah. I don't know if any of that sheds any light whatsoever. Yeah, but. no, it it does. It does. It's it's watching it in the context of when it was created, rather than rather than even just just now. But but I think that even now, you know, in twenty twenty two, I can watch this and and get something out of it. I still don't like it. Yeah. I still don't. It it's just really hard watch for me. Yeah. But knowing knowing that like the inner I'm watching it right now. That's why I'm looking off to the side. I'm like watching portions of it. I'm trying to trying to bounce off what you're saying with what I'm seeing. I mean, it it's just so quirky. Yeah. It's so quirky that it's hard for me to actually like like accept as truth. And that that's part of my problem. And and I'll mm. add, I'll just, you know, put that out there is, you know, m- part of my problem with cinema is that it's I go into it expecting real mm-hmm. in whatever capacity that is, whether that's a superhero movie or whether that's this or whether that's it's anything in between. I expect to feel like what I'm seeing on the screen is really happening. And there's so many things that just take me out of that in this mm-hmm. in this film that like I just don't really it's hard to it's hard to force myself to to let go of that, you know. And just experience it coming at me. I will say my first watch wasn't as good as like my fourth watch. Like, I think the more I began to understand the intention behind some of this stuff, because my first watch, uh, I I probably didn't really get into it until three quarters of the way in. Whenever you start really experiencing Faye and she absolutely steals the show. So I didn't know until after I'd watched it, apparently Faye, the, the, Fei Wong, um, who plays Fei, uh, the the quirky girl at the end, she is like a mega supernova singer in Hong Kong, in Asia. Like it was told to me, like she's the Madonna of Asia, and I, I was just curious, like, okay, it's twenty twenty two. What's what's her net worth? Like, how much is she worth? She's worth one hundred and fifty million. So like, she was like a really wow big star back in her day uh, and still is to this day and so i'm sure if you are from asia that probably carried an extra layer of significance like oh you know madonna's doing a movie and it's like this little art house indie film what (laughs) the hell is going on and so for them it, it probably carried extra layers of significance to see her looking and acting you know insane and that has its own charm of course but i thought she carried it I thought she carried it with like a plum. Like I, I had no idea that she was anything other than this really weird, quirky, you know, girl who's obsessive uh, in the weirdest ways. And uh, I found her absolutely charming and uh, hilarious. But yeah, and so seeing 
and understanding some of those other elements, I think uh, three quarters of the way in, I was like, oh, I think I get this movie now because the the first act or the first storyline with the uh, the the cop and ma- the maze <laughs> um, or was like, OK, and I was really thrown off. I'm always turned off by the the woman in the blonde wig. That whole yeah. storyline is just odd and i don't fully comprehend it even after and that if i can interrupt for just yeah, a second please. that it was when it started like that that i was just checked out immediately i was like i hate this this is not whoever's idea this was is a terrible <laughs> I, I just didn't like it but i get the the notion of like you know she's strange she's also undercover she's mm-hmm. doing something you know that she shouldn't be doing so she's different it's like you're really able to single her out from everyone else. I kind of understand that. And then you have a cop who says he falls in love with her, even though he has no idea who she is. None at all. And had just like seen, he passed her on the street and then later on he sees her at a bar and that's it. But he's in love with her. I just totally don't buy that. But I, I understand this movie is, there's this longing for love. There's this, this like loneliness, right. That, that exudes in these characters even the the bad lady, the bad one, the woman in the wed, in the wig, she's just lonely, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. just lonely. The whole scene in the apartment after she passes out and goes to sleep, and he's just eating all night long, like that was a beautiful scene to me. Like I I really felt that this is he's just watching TV and eating while someone that he loves is asleep on his bed and he's just alone. I thought that that was very powerful, uh, but like you said, it wasn't until the the second story with the the cop and the woman behind the the counter that I was I was like okay this is there's this is layered this yeah. is it feels like okay he's with someone else he sees her and thinks she's cute you know or pretty she sees him and is really into him you can feel the build of the of her interest in him and then you know his girlfriend leaves and so he has more interest in her but but still it wasn't completely reciprocated and so she invades him. It it was really interesting. And I was super interested to see where that was going because then she was in, you know, in his apartment. I was like, oh, this is so weird. And it, it was it was really engaging. But that first story was just really hard. For, <laughs> and I, I do. I like a lot of things about it, though. The whole, you know, he's going to eat pineapple on May on expiration date of May 1st. I thought that that was really annoyingly specific but something that a human being would absolutely do yeah you know what i mean like like pick it's the same thing as i'm you know if i go out for a jog and i say okay and i'm listening to music if i can make it to that light pole but by the time the chorus ends of this song then i'm gonna make a million dollars this year you know it's the same it's so random has no bearing on life at all or the or the universe and yet i'm picking it that sound feels like that. And breakups are hard, right? You you do that kind of stuff. You live in your head so much, right? Uh, whatever. The clock is about to turn 11-11. And you're just like, at 11-11, I'm going to make a wish. And the wish is going to be whatever. And and for him to, to kind of pick out, oh, pineapples. She loves pineapples. My birthday's coming up on May 1st. There's some kind of destiny that I can link and interweave. And you do all these little weird things when you're going through a heartbreak in order to feel connected to your lover. Um, And it's such a strange place to find yourself in when you're just trying to not get over it. I mean, that's really what you're doing. You're doing your best to not get over it. 
because that feeling is the one last thread um, intangible though it is uh, with what you experienced and what what's kind of the residue of that relationship and and I love that that's the 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 kind of connection that he finds um, by combining you know those two things pineapples and and I love that he uses that as the pickup line for the, the woman in the blonde wig which you know on its face is just like what are you talking about you creep it just starts to sound very creepy and the 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 extra layer that i i love that i think they're connecting is how he doesn't really we never get to know may right i don't think we ever see may we barely glimpse and see the other may the one that works behind the counter with uh, at the snack bar that Faye replaces uh in the second half i don't think we ever really get to see may and we just kind of see it from his point of view that he's getting over May and he tries to replace May with a completely other May. And it's like they're fungible in the same way that all the pineapple cans of pineapple are the exact same, right? This one is, this is a can of pineapple that's labeled May 1st. It's the exact same as this other one, right? And he gets upset with the store owner who's like, bro, just... We can't sell expired fruit. And he's like, y'all are all obsessed with freshness. <laughs> you can't be obsessed with freshness. What about the other fruit? They they went through so much to get canned and put out on the store shelves. You can't just be so obsessed with all this fresh fruit. You know, and he's just trying to, you know, pretend in his head that they're all fungible. They're all exchangeable for the exact same thing. Um, and they're not right. He's trying to replace one may with another may. And it's just like you, you are bottling up all these women in your head when really all you're obsessed with is the feeling that you get from them. And it has nothing to do with those individuals, um, which is a very real thing that men do um, writ large. Like you yeah. just kind of exchange one for another. And the best way to get over a heartbreak is actually to just go date someone. It's not to sit and obsess over pineapples. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting, the the scene where he goes home and he eats all the pineapple. Right. It, it, it made me think of, of Ghost Story from last week mm. of, of the just, I'm just going to eat it all yeah. uh, to try to feel better, wow. you know, but this felt like you said more comedic, yeah. you know, uh, that was much more like, like uh, um, heart wrenching and this didn't feel like that at all. So it was kind of almost like it was making fun of the loneliness that he was experiencing in a way, you yeah. know, and in, in, in many ways, maybe like that we all kind of experience when a, a relationship ends that should have ended, you know, and we just don't want to accept it in a way. Absolutely. And I think that's what I'm more and more, the more I watch this, the more charming that I find is it's comedy without a punchline. Like we're so used to comedies having, you know, a silent snare, and whatever hi-hat right you're just like oh there's my joke <laughs> everybody laugh applause line like it's not that it's very humanistic uh, yeah. comedy and whenever you i think appreciate that or understand it even if you don't appreciate every single one of these kind of uh, jokes like whenever you understand the intention that's kind of bubbling underneath um i think that adds so much to the humor and oh my god i love that moment at the end of his story where he leaves the pager yeah. like there is a certain tyranny that we can identify with now of technology and being reachable 
when you're going through a heartbreak, that stuff is utter torture. Having your cell phone on you, the cell phone that will not ring, that will not go off, you know, with the person that you so much want to talk to. And then when it does go off, it's not that person. You know, it's there is a tyrannical nature behind that undergirds that. And I love that he was able to express that through a pager from the 90s. Like we can still understand that today and how you wish sometimes that you could just escape it. And I love that the second he leaves it is the moment it goes off. Um, Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it's not the one person that he wants to hear from, but it's close enough. Right. It's someone that he just connected with. Uh, and who also wants nothing to do with them. <laughs> yeah. So, so what I was going to ask earlier is what do you, what do you, um, what, how do you feel about the narration? So I think it's perfect because on the one hand, there's a lot of voiceover, but there's not a lot of wordiness to it, right? It's very punchy, succinct. You kind of get in, you get out. Um, I think it's a delicate line to walk. We've talked about this before on the show where voiceover, you can do too much where you just become droney. But here, I think, I don't think they're, they're, they're crossing that line. I think they're using it for poetry, uh, which is very useful. Um, and then adds a layer of beauty as you're watching kind of these montages of him, whatever at McDonald's eating a burger um, or, you know, just, whenever towards the end he's drinking a cup of coffee or sitting at the jukebox and slowly dropping a quarter in, you're able to imbibe, right? The emotion of it. And I think they do a real one car. Y does an amazing job of that. And I think it's not unintentional from what I understand. And this gets into the lack of history that I understand. I I'm pretty sure he was in the middle of making another movie whenever he stopped to go make this movie. Hmm. And so he just kind of needed the break. I want to say it was fallen angels could have been in the mood for love. I don't know, but he was just struggling with this other film and he's like, I need a break. And he runs off and throws off all the constraints of traditional filmmaking. um, And just says, this is what's going to come out. And I could see myself trying to make this kind of movie because so much of this I identify with. I, I love, yeah, you know, voiceover montages um, where you kind of get to the emotional core of an idea. And I love that he does that. And I think he does it in a way that is, ah, who is this filmmaker? D, uh, D Reese, who we covered with Mudbound. She did this, uh, I don't know if it was a South by talk or some kind of uh, interview. And I'll see if I can dig it up where she talks about, three steps removed or three layers back of your character's feelings. And she talks about how one of her, her script teachers in school uh, told her, don't write, don't say what your character's thinking, remove it by three steps. So like if you know, you, and she made up this, this story of uh, these two girls are together and one of them loves the other, but she can't say, I love you. So maybe instead of saying, I love you, she says, I love your, your sweater. And now you're kind of skirting around the real issue of the the first layer is I love you. The second layer would be, I love something about you, right? I love your sweater. And in that way you're indirectly getting at it. And then it's like, Oh, okay. Instead of even, maybe that's too close to the truth. Maybe you go back another layer. Right. Um, and so, so instead of that, you say, um, where'd you get your sweater? 
And now you're very much, and I get it. And you can't always write that way. I, I think that would be a, a, a misstep because then you're just so abstract that you never really understand what anybody's thinking, but you can dance around it. You can play with those ideas. And I think that's what he's doing here. A lot of times is you, you see what he's feeling just through the nature of how he goes about his day. And you can hear some of the poetry um, or some of the ideas, right? The, the second cop, he's talking to the soap and he's, and he's talking to the, the, the rags um, in his apartment, right? Uh, you, you've lost so much weight. You, you can't treat yourself this way. <laughs> <laughs> and he's talking to the rag. He's like, Oh no, you know like, what? You got to stop crying all the time. This isn't uh -huh. like you. Um, and, and so he's, he's talking to these things when he's really talking about himself. And I think he's using some of these ideas to, my characters are going to express themselves in ways that are, are describing and getting to the heart of who they are without actually putting the, the needle on the record, right? We're, we're just going to kind of look at the record. And I think it's just this interesting, beautiful, chaotic swirl of visuals, dialogue, and, and music. And it all kind of churns together in this sorbet, Neapolitan experience. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the, the voiceover and the dialogue all worked. It just, to me, it's beauty. It really is. And you know me, cause I love these weird, well, maybe not weird. I don't always really love weird films. Um, uh, like I enjoyed Janae, um, to a point, <laughs> but this generally, I love small, intimate dramas that don't have to be about anything. I love kind of, uh, seeing into people instead of, making it this big cosmic solution to we got to save the world. Right. And you see all these nameless faces and you're supposed to care about them. I, I like caring about pineapples. <laughs> like I love finding out what does this person tick by and what's really driving him and having to peel back some of those layers on my own. Um, that's really interesting. I don't know. How, how did all that strike you in terms of the voiceover and maybe even the music? Well, I mean, the music, to me, the music was the best part of it. I just, I loved it. I loved the choice of the song. I love that they play it on repeat half the time, you know, um, that we hear it multiple times. The Mamas and Papas, that's one of my, I mean, that's one of my all-time favorite songs. I mean, it's definitely my top 10, top 20, uh, you know, like, uh, I've always loved that song. And so when I first heard it, I thought, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And then the the Cranberries song also, it's like, oh, that's a great choice. It was super modern for the day. How close? I literally couldn't tell if that was her singing or not. Like, was that a cover? To me, I I could hear like the cover is so good. I'm not sure if it's actually her. That's a great point. I wasn't even I wasn't even paying attention that close. Hmm. Honestly, I think I think it was a cover. I don't think I it would was assume the original. The, the accent was so good. Uh, yeah but yeah, you could have fooled me <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think you could fool me but i wasn't listening for it mm. so that's a good question it was the falsetto when she gets into those falsetto notes yeah um, i was like oh my god this is like really outstanding. maybe it's her maybe it is yeah maybe it's her maybe it's Faye. um so i loved i loved the music uh choices i love that they play it on repeat because when i have a song that i love it's all i listen to I'm just that kind of person. I just have it on repeat. In fact, there's a song I recently found that I just, for whatever reason, like 
absolutely adore it. And it speaks to me and it's all I listen to completely. And so I, when she puts it on repeat, I think, yes, that's what you would do as a human being. And you'd play yeah. it loud as hell and, you know, whatever. It does get kind of annoying. Yeah. And then he finally asks her to turn it down. And so she turns it off. And that's even more annoying. Like, no, no, no. He said, turn it down. You don't have to turn it off. So, yeah. If if the point of this movie is to point out the quirks and and you know idiosyncrasies of human beings and differences in in those in human beings, then it did a amazingly perfect job. If he really did pause another film to go off and make whatever the hell was in his head and in his heart, and that's what this is, then it's brilliant. Yeah. It, it, you telling so all the other things that you said, I'm like, yeah, okay, I could see that. I could see somebody liking that, but it doesn't convince me of anything that I should like. But in looking at it from that point of view of like, you know, he's making, you know, not boilerplate movie, movies. No. I don't think he's ever really done that, but like he's making, you know, movies with a, with a, a plot and a finish line and, and, you know, a direction and like all of these things that you have to do in film from mainstream, right? And he's doing that and he just needs a, a break to just make something with no rules. Now, all of a sudden, I want to go back and watch this movie like that hmm. because I see it for what it is, if that's what it is. And honestly, even if it's not what it is, that's the way that I, I think that's the way that I feel. Yeah. Every shot is handheld. There's nothing locked off. Everything is crazy and chaotic and weird and things happen that you're just kind of like you question like would a human being ever really do that yeah probably <laughs> there's seven billion people on the planet eight billion that probably would do that but then you get frustrated with them at times and and so why not show all the stupid quirky things and then not give us anything yeah. at the end because so many things that happen to us in life don't really give us anything we just can't do it so from that lens i think it's brilliant Absolutely. That's the one thing you told me that I'm, I can latch on to and say, you know what? Yeah. All, all of a sudden, this, this movie kind of like makes sense to me because it doesn't make sense because it's just from your mind. You're trying to get out all the things you can't do and all the other work that you're doing. You're going to throw it all, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater into this film. And it just is whatever the hell it is that came out of your brain. Why not, you know? Why not? And then it turns out to be this cult classic that, you know, which is really interesting because if you think about cult classics as well, a lot of times it's somewhat like that in a way where, you know, you take something that is expected and you turn it on its head or you don't give people, you know, something. I mean, Reservoir Dogs, look at Reservoir Dogs, right? Like all in one place kind of kind of movie that hadn't really been done. I mean, maybe it'd been done, but not to that extent that yeah. that Quentin Tarantino did. And he's a great example of do, of this. Like I watch this movie and I think Quentin. You know. And and so so are you aware I have to interrupt you. Yeah. Because are you aware that Tarantino loved this movie so much that he made sure it made its way to American audiences? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Well, that makes sense. And he literally, if you have the DVD version, he literally has an introduction and outro, I believe, uh, where he 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 discusses why he loves his film so much. I don't remember what it is. I I could like send it to you, but he literally like 
it even on the cover i think says you know introduced by quentin tarantino or something like that oh wow because he was just so in love with uh this this film yeah i, t- I so mean it's I totally so interesting get that. that you say that well because his this is his style yeah. this is how he makes movies too <laughs> you know uh i i absolutely see that in this i mean i could see this being a i, I don't know I, I can absolutely see this being like a, a seminal you know change in his mindset after seeing this movie because i, f- I feel like i see From the opening shot, I felt like this is a Tarantino film. But but anyway, I I just I guess point being is that if that's what creates a a timeless movie, it I also think it's a good thing that people don't always do that, Hmm. because then if this is all we have, then it's not as special. So I do like the fact that you know we can we can go off and we can watch Marvel movies and we can watch rom-coms if you're into that or you can watch you know animations you know like pixar films and you can enjoy that where it's somewhat not always but somewhat being handed to you and you can have a popcorn movie and you can just enjoy the the time and and the story and then when those people want to tap into something deeper they can go off and watch a film like this or watch Reservoir Dogs or watch, you know, something that is not handed to you that you actually have to work for and know, like, you're you're giving me all this backstory, all this information about this movie that's actually, you know, making me look at it differently. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful thing. That feels like all of a sudden cinema becomes a little bit more important rather than just something that you consume. I agree. I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's one of those things where, you can approach a film in any number of ways, you know, having some intellectual underpinning uh, can change the way you watch a film or you can just connect with the content or, you know, the, the, the filmmaker himself has to, uh, or herself, right. has to win you over and, and force you to love what they, what they made. Uh, <laughs> and all of that, all of that's fine. All of that works. And you run your, your, you run your risk all the way around. Right. The, I mean, if if you think of this movie in, in contrast with uh, something we saw recently, Everything Everywhere, you're tackling some really big ideas and you're kind of just saying, you're, you're just grabbing the audience and saying, nope, sit here, experience this. You'll love me or hate me for it, but you're going to feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I feel like this is that kind of movie where it's just like you have to put everything away and you have to just stare at it. Whether you love it or you hate it, it is is, is up to you, um, and that's fine. I totally get why you wouldn't like love this movie. It it doesn't surprise or hurt my feelings at all, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, I I find it interesting how I think all the all the added information or perspective can can maybe shift it enough. And two, I think I would even love this movie a little bit more without the first story. If you just made this whatever yeah. uh, a 75 minute movie with just uh Faye, i think that becomes worthy on its own and becomes its own like thing but the the extra story isn't bad either you know i'm not hating on it altogether there's just something about it that i i think it's in contrast to Faye. she is such a gem of a character like what a fascinating character to come up with where you have this girl who is certainly lonely or just so incredibly her own person and i think we've all you know met these kinds of people where you're just like you are a singular human being and 
How many women or men have you known that would categorize themselves as free, free spirits? And they might feel that way, but you also know you're also you're you're into basic shit. Like you're you're doing what all your friends are doing. But if you've ever met a true free spirit, they literally do not care what you think or how you feel about what it is that's going on in their head. Like it's a completely different type of person to, to be around uh, from my perspective. And I get that feeling from watching Faye that she is going to be herself come what may. And the guys in this film are by no stretch of the imagination, free spirits. Like they are so bound. And I like that contrast of he's a cop. They're both cops. And whenever you put in that idea of being a cop, you're literally in a uniform. Everything about you is uniform and synchronous. Whereas she is completely asynchronous. Uh, and you start putting on this other aspect of she is obsessed with this guy, but in no way could you pick out that she was obsessed with this guy if you weren't living in her shoes. And that's the extra layer of spending time with her that you begin to understand. Like she sees him in public and she acts a little weird here and there, but for the most part, you just kind of say, Oh, you're, you're being odd, but she never puts on that. She's obsessed with this guy. Like she just sees him. She acts completely normal. And that's such a funny thing. I don't think guys are good at hiding their cool. A lot of women are really good at hiding their cool. <laughs> you would never know that they feel one way or another about someone. Yeah. And Faye is, I think, uh, the epitome of that, where, you know, she sees this guy and she's acts indifferent entirely to his existence. But then you see that, oh, actually, she's breaking into his house. Well, she got the keys that she took out of the letter from the stewardess, uh, the air hostess. Uh, she's going into his house. She's completely refabricating everything in there. And she's even trying to do things for his own good. Like I finally, I think, I don't know if I just forget it every time or if I picked it up for the first time where she puts sleeping pills in his water. Yeah. <laughs> and she's trying to tell him, stop drinking so much coffee. If you can't sleep, just drink water. He goes home, drinks water and gets knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> so she's right. Right? She's right. Takes her advice. Yeah. Well, she, she also laced it with sleeping pills. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so hilarious and weird. And he is so completely unaware, like to the point where she replaced a huge stuffed animal, a huge stuffed dog with a Garfield. Um, hello. She's in the apartment and just hides herself under a blanket. Do you remember? Like, and he doesn't notice her. There's a big human being under a blanket and you just he looks directly at it that I, that was really rough for me yeah i was like yeah. ah, it's a fucking joke are you kidding me but he's just an oblivious dude and he's and i guess that's the point completely and you actually see her in the uh the first story if you watch the background there's a scene where the woman in the blonde wig walks out of a store and in the background you see Faye walk out of it having bought the big Garfield. Um, and so there's some like overlap that they do. It's, it's, you know, simple and subtle and ultimately meaningless. Um, but it's just this little fun wrinkle I think they throw in, but yeah. And so Faye is just so weird and just amazing to watch. And you, 
you buy into it's the pineapple thing, right? We're like, you're buying into her reality to the degree that you can identify with. And you see like, she's about to walk into his apartment and he's walking out and she's just terrified and she can't even move. (laughs) And so he like pulls her inside, gives her a leg massage and she's just, you know, freaked out the entire time. And then finally he catches her and he starts to put together. I don't know how much he puts together anything, but it creates this weird question where this guy can't win no matter what he does. Um, because he finally sees her for her and he asks her out, which ostensibly is what she's wanted this whole time is to be with him, right? She finds the hair in his bed and she's so upset and uh, frustrated because she's doing everything she can to like upgrade this guy. <laughs> and he goes out and he finds another girl when in reality, it's probably just a leftover hair from the the air hostess. And then she's like inspecting this waitress at this random place and, She's like, what long hair you have? And she's like, uh, okay. <laughs> How long did it take to grow up? Uh, get away from me. <laughs> like, yeah. You weirdo. Um, and he finally asks her out. She agrees. They go on this date. Or so he's, he's thinking. And he shows up. And she's not there. And she's not there. And finally, the, the snack bar manager who's playing this kind of really shitty Cupid this whole time. And he shows up and he's like, Hey bro, got another letter for you. (laughs) And he's like, I don't know. She went to California. Um, and that's kind of his new reality of, wow, I really can't win. And he waits a year and I love that she comes back and now he's invaded her place. Right. She's taken over. He's taken over um, just to be connected to her. And if you abstractly think about it, you start to understand kind of the symmetry that's going on. And that plays into his character, right? He's he's a uniform guy. Um, All he knows is what he's been shown. Um, And so for him to take her place to feel connected uh, is uh, there's a certain harmony that goes in with the rest of the story that's being told. Uh, and I love that she walks in to find him in her place. It's suddenly like, oh, what are you doing in my place? And it's like, yeah, how does that feel? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, fine, you can have it. Yeah. I'm going to go fly all over the world. <laughs> and it's this beautiful moment that I don't I don't expect uh, to experience in this movie because no one's ever winning in this film. Right. Even the the woman in the blonde wig, she like ends her story by murdering someone. Yeah. And walks away. And so you don't get the a sense of safety at all when you're when you're going through this ride. Um, and you kind of have a, a an unexpected happy ending. And it's it's kind of it's really sweet um, in its own specific way. Yeah. There's there's also no transitions. Uh, at all you do go from one thing to another and you have to follow along with it they have these these a couple of moments with the first story where they freeze on on him you know and i was i remember watching it thinking what the hell what is my is there's something wrong with my computer like what what is going on Uh, (laughs) and they happen actually pretty close to each other you know The, the freeze after he gets the the happy birthday and then later on there's an you know, a few minutes later, there's another freeze and they're both on him. And I'm like, okay, I get it. 
you know, it's an important moment. So we're going to freeze there. But it was, it's just jarring, yeah. you know? And it, again, it goes back to the, the, if I'm going to make this movie and, and F the rules and I'm just going to make whatever's in, in my brain and in my heart right now. And I'm not going to, you know, you have all this education about film and what makes a quote unquote good movie and everything. And then you, you, it's, it's what musicians talk about, about reading music. Hmm. You know, it's, they say, learn all the theory you possibly can and then forget it all. Like that's, that's a thing. That's a saying that they have. And I feel like that's exactly what this movie is. <laughs> it's, it's a, a guy who knows how to make the quintessential, you know, like stereotypical bookend film. And he, purposefully avoids everything that would make this that that's so good and and now i can see it so thank you for actually introducing me to that that notion because now i want to actually go back and watch that but yeah th there's like freezing moments and and i i get the the what's it called that you called it before the step printing yeah i i get why that's used i like that it's different than stop motion kind of like mm -hmm. or like just slowing down film i I, it feels different, yeah. right? It feels like the moments that they pick, the 16 frames per second or whatever it might be, are important. Like when the the blonde woman is is shooting someone in it, we get a a still frame of the muzzle going off, right? We don't just hear it, but we get the the still frame, which sounds like a duh kind of thing. But you got to think about that. Like we have to have that single frame of the muzzle actually going off or else we're just hearing it and we're not actually seeing her do the action yeah. we need to actually see her do the action um so yeah that that makes sense and it's an interesting you and what when they the moments they use it you actually pay attention more because you have to because yeah. i need to see every frame now or else i might miss something you know yeah it's such an interesting process so step printing is he shoots at like six frames per second and he opens the shutter wide up. And so you have a ton of motion blur hitting each frame. And then the reason why it's called step printing is because you play it, you're, you're recording at six frames per second, and then you're playing it back at 24 frames per second. So each frame, if you're going to have 24 frames, that means you need to repeat each one of those frames every second, four frames. So six frames per second played back at 24 means each frame lasts uh you know four times longer and now you're able to create what feels like slow motion but it's not it's actually not slow motion because you're playing it back in real time so every second is still a second it just blurs everything more together um, and it creates like you said a different emotion you feel differently watching this and so it's really interesting to watch an action sequence that's in that's you know six frames per second in, in step printing because it doesn't feel as threatening. It feels more fluid and and generally the way I think it works emotionally on an emotional level is if you want to heighten your senses, you up the frame rate. So if you wanted to or up the choppiness, and there's a lot of ways you can do that, right? You can record at 60 frames per second and play it back at 24 frames. And now everything feels more choppy or you can record at 24 frames per second and close the shutter down so that everything there's less motion blur. And now everything feels more choppy. There's a million ways you can go about it, but that choppiness heightens everything. It feels more excitable. It feels more action oriented uh, because now all the motion 
gets more heightened and it's less blurred together. Uh, and so you're experiencing everything uh, in this more chaotic, frantic quality. And with the step printing, everything's more blurry and fluid. Just think about it in terms of a river, right? If you've ever seen a, a, a river in a photograph through uh, a time lapse, right? Suddenly all the water kind of blends together and it's just, uh, it doesn't feel, it feels like a river. It may not necessarily look like a river, but it feels like a river. Uh, whereas if you were to, to shoot a river, you know, with a, a much higher um, shutter speed, right? Where the water, you can freeze and see a single drop of water. Suddenly it looks like a river, uh, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a river. You can see the water much more clearly now, but you can't feel the motion of the water. And there's a, that emotional quality that kind of goes hand in hand with that whenever you start thinking about genre. And so in a, in a romance, right, you want to feel the emotion. And the more you can kind of blur everything together, uh, there's a more of an emotional quality. The last thing I think you want to do, and this gets into convention, and maybe there's a way to break this in an interesting way. But I think the last thing you want to do with a romance is to add choppiness because that's not very romantic. It's not very there's no longing. There's no kind of fluid water like quality. Right. Uh, the emotion just kind of feels it, it creates too much tension, I think, in the viewer whenever you have all this choppiness. And I think that's just kind of this knee jerk, you know, visceral reaction that you don't really get to control. And that's why understanding your your, your process and the impact that it has on the viewer is so important because the more you can understand the psychology of what you film and how it impacts the viewer, the more it can change and inform what you're making and why. He knows he's making uh, this kind of romance and comedy drama. And even though he has these action sequences, right? These chase sequences, there's a murder scene, right? He doesn't want to emphasize the danger. He wants to emphasize the melancholy of it. And so in, in using step printing in that way, now you can suddenly address the emotional core of your film and not get lost in the tension. He doesn't want to create tension. He wants to uh, create kind of a longing and these other, you know, dramatic emotional qualities and using step printing in that way is such a beautiful and unexpected decision uh, whenever you, you start kind of adding all that in together. Yeah. So that is actually the first time I've actually, I've understood how to, when you just said that, how to describe to people why the motion setting on their HD TVs is, is like really detrimental, right? So we've talked about this in the podcast before. Anytime I see a TV like that, first thing I do is I go to find the remote control and I hit the settings and I turn that shit off. For those of you not aware, if you buy an HD TV, nowadays it comes with this setting on it and it's usually called something like like motion motion smoothing. plus yeah. or something what yeah what motion yeah. smoothing motion plus motion smoothing yeah, yeah. and and it, it's great for watching football and sports because what it does is it it i guess it ostensibly ups the frame rate essentially yeah. uh, for lack of a better term yeah the refresh rate quite, goes way up yeah 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 refresh rate goes way up that's it so everything looks like a goddamn soap opera. So if you want to watch, you know, The Dark Knight or, I don't know, Joker or 1917 on this TV, it's going to feel like you're watching a soap opera. It's going to take all the drama, all the emotion, and it's going to basically 
you're not going to feel any of it because of what you just said. And that's like describing a river is a perfect example of how to tell someone that it's motion blur is important because it adds feeling. And if you don't have that, if everything is so crisp, it's too crisp. All of a sudden there's no feeling behind it because you can tell what it is, but you can't feel what it is. And that's exactly how I want to explain it to people now, you know, while I'm fucking up their TV. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing God's work. I, I literally just got a new TV this past week. Apparently, I leave mine on too long, and it had like a three and a year, three and a half year half life. Um, <laughs> I'm not so, surprised, and so I'm trying to get better about turning it off. But okay. yeah, that was the first thing I did was go into all the settings and change everything. There's yeah. way too much. I I wish they would let Christopher Nolan come up with the standard and yeah. apply it to every every TV um, out. But yeah, agreed. You're doing you're doing God's work, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, th- man, th- uh, any other notes? Because uh, th- you've really given me some things to think about. Yeah, um, I mean, the only other the only other thing that was just a, the the payoff. There's a, a a really fun payoff that they have with her Faye being at his place, and she keeps calling her boss, right, or her cousin, the the snack bar manager, and he's like, "Where are you?" And she's like, "I'm trying to pay the electric bill. I'm trying to pay the electric bill." And, and then she's at work in the middle of work and the lights go out and he's like, what have you been doing? You haven't paid the <laughs> yeah. electric bill. And it's such a, a payoff that I don't expect to see. Like I just start to feel like a little bit of anxiety over, is she ever going to get caught? Like she keeps doing all this stuff and, and it just heightens everything. And it's a really fun payoff where she just kind of shrugs them off. Yeah. I've been going to the doctor. He's like, Really, you haven't been taking medicine. You just haven't noticed. <laughs> and she's so defensive over everything. Um, he's like, "Well, when are you getting better?" She's like, "Soon." <laughs> and that's that's the end of the conversation. I don't know all the all the humor. Uh, I think I just start to really really adore as much as I adore like as you know, kind of a sad sack myself sometimes. Like all the uh, the melancholy aspects that uh, these guys are going through. Um, it. Just, I think the more I watch this, the more that I love it and adore it for sure. And I feel like I also need to go back and watch or rewatch. I've seen most of his library. Like I've seen Better Days, which is a beautiful, I think that was his breakout, which I feel like this is a, maybe a spiritual successor, but I haven't seen it in so long that I can't remember how much it overlaps. Like I've seen this the most and then maybe in the mood for love, um, and maybe, uh, maybe I've actually seen my Blueberry Nights, which I'm going to cover um, as well during this whole Asian, because this is my Blueberry Nights is his Americanized version of like Chunking Express, mm. uh, is the way I would put it, and and more modernized. Um, so I'd be curious to see if he goes too far the other direction, in your opinion, or if, or if it's just the right amount of blend. Oh, um, I would like, yeah. I would like to do that. I think that'll be fun. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's all I got, man. This okay. I have to say, coming in, I was incredibly. I was I was upset because I was like, this is one of my favorite movies, and I don't think we're going to do it justice. I just didn't feel like uh, I prepped well enough for it. And yet, on the other end, looking down the tunnel, this might be my favorite episode we've done. Like I, I've really enjoyed this conversation a lot. And so probably partially because you you've actually convinced me some things you know you've you've won the argument in in many ways i am not above saying 
that I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, just ask my wife, you know, I'm happy to say, I don't know what I'm talking about, baby. You're good. You're, you're, you're right. Uh, uh, no, I mean, you know, it's, I, I agree. I agree because one of the things I love about what we do is we come at it from different points of view, obviously. Uh, you know, um, I'm more of a consumer and you're more of the, 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 uh, uh, detail oriented, you know, annoying, um, you, yeah, knowledgeable <laughs> point of view. And, you know, no, bringing a backstory to this is important. I actually, you know, after I watched it, I went online and I was like, I, I need, I need to search and see why, hmm. you know, like there's gotta be a reason why everybody loves this and why it's seminal film. And I just don't get it, you know, and I'm not above saying I don't get it, but I'm also not above you know, listening to someone whom I respect your opinion and your, your expertise and actually saying, you know what, that makes a lot of sense, or I don't agree with that or whatever. I, you know, I think maybe it's my old age. I don't know, but I'm kind of like decided to cast my, my hard nose opinion aside in a lot of regard. Um, especially when it comes to something like this, because, you know, yeah, everybody's going to have your, you're going to have your opinion on first watch or first listen of a song or whatever, it doesn't mean it has to be your opinion forever. I still don't like this movie, yeah. but I want to go watch it with the things that you've given me, with the arsenal you've given me in mind again and see if I feel indifferent. I mean, I'm, I'm watching it now as we're, as we're speaking and these things are hitting me a little bit different. You know, I, I'm in the second half of it. Oh, so nice. I, I think that the, the better half in my yeah. mind, yeah. But even the first half, you know, maybe looking at it and through a different lens will be uh, eye opening. And his writing style, I adore. So from, and I'm going to fact check all this. Check the show notes, everyone. Just, you know, I'll I'll, I'll look to correct myself in the show notes and see if I, I got a detail wrong um, about the, the origins of this film. But he there's an interesting writing style. I think Miyazaki, Miyazaki, sorry, we butcher all the names because we don't know how to pronounce any of the names. Miyazaki, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Miyazaki, right? Studio Ghibli wrote spirit of the way and the most incredible anime films ever. Right. And he doesn't write in a traditional way. He writes as he goes, right? He, he, and I want to say Wong Kar Wai with this film, especially uh, was doing the same thing. He was kind of, creating it as he went it's not that he didn't have a script or a template but it was very loose and he was willing to kind of throw it all out the window in favor of rewriting it the next day um, and saying hey we shot this yesterday maybe today we we shoot this and uh, it'll be about this and it's very fluid I want to say uh, the creating process and I wonder how that informed the the acting right because this movie really relies on interesting performances as as much or more than the writing in and of itself because it's so loose it's so uh spontaneous and i want to say that that all kind of combines together like hey here's what i'm thinking and go i don't know how much of it was here's here's your lines read your lines so much as uh like drake dormus with like crazy had an outline and a, a treatment and would just kind of sit with his actors and play around in the sandbox and say, Hey, try this, try this. Let's film it again from this angle and try this, try this. And that's a lot of trust in your actors. It's a lot of trust because not all actors are good at that. Not all, not all actors want to do that. 
Yeah. Like this has been my frustration. I really haven't found that actor yet where I can do that. And I've, I'm trying. And I think it's a combination of maybe getting my actors to trust me to trust themselves. Right. Uh, and that's a hard thing to do to say, Hey, we're going to roll a take and I want you to do absolutely nothing. That's in the script. Take the idea yeah. of what's in the script and play with it. Go to the intention. What's the intention? Um, and now you're having to do script analysis in a way that doesn't feel like analysis. That feels like a feeling. And that's some really abstract stuff that you're, you're asking for. And those are my favorite exercises in class when I'm in an acting class. And the, the, the instructor says, okay, throw it all away. Now do play with the intention of the scene without using any of that dialogue. That's so terrifying and freeing at the same time. Like those are, that's why I love acting. Um, and everything in me wants to find actors who are just as willing to be terrified and willing to, to look stupid because it also means that you can't stumble because there's no stumbling in reality. There's no stumbling in life, right? You, our conversation is not scripted. We're just talking. And if I, if I slip, if I stumble, it's not because I forgot my lines. It's because I haven't, I haven't expressed myself the way that I'm trying to yet. And I know in my head and in my heart that I'm trying to express something. My, my mouth just hasn't found the words yet and I'm going to get there. And whenever you're acting to, to kind of understand that, um, and that's my most frustrated moments is when an actor cuts themselves. Um, and I mean that more symbolically than literally, right? Like they, they cut in the sense that they stop the scene, they break character and they say, okay, uh, can we do that again? I missed my lineup, man. I'm never going to yell probably at an actor, but that's as close as you're going to get me to like firing you right there on the spot is whenever you cut, uh, because that's my job. My job is to tell you when we're done. Um, your job is to stay in the moment is to stay in character and explore the moment. Even if you've run out of lines, what does your character want to do now? You know, are they just going to sit some of the best move? Some of the greatest moments in cinema history is just an actor sitting in their thoughts and you're just watching them. When the director should have called cut 20 seconds ago Absolutely. and 20 seconds is an eternity for an actor having no direction. It feels like five minutes. It, it really does. <laughs> it really does. And I, I love what you mentioned earlier about the three three degrees removed from the from the actual line or the, the feeling yeah. or whatever it is. I love that because that that also makes me think about your referencing the the uh, um, shutter speed or or uh, itself or um, uh, frame rate, mm -hmm. right? The higher the frame rate, the more you see, the more detailed it is, but the less authentic it looks. It feel like acting is the same way, right? If you're giving me the feeling, if you're like telling me the line and you're giving, trying to give me the feeling, it's, it's too much. It's like obviously not real, right? But if you remove yourself, if you remove frames, if you remove those degrees of that feeling, then it feels more real. So you just sit there and you're lonely instead of saying, I'm God, I'm so lonely. You know, like that's much more authentic, right? You see yeah. it or you feel it, even though you might not see it. And then if you feel it, then you put that feeling on what you're seeing, right? It, that, man, it, I want yeah. you to direct me. I would love to try it. Awesome. <laughs> Just like, saying that. I, I will never call cut on your set. <laughs> Don't you worry. I, I think of 
man, my dream is to make this kind of film. Mm. It's such an intimidating thing because you're, you're kind of admitting you, you don't know necessarily the, the full game plan. There is all this trust. Uh, that's one of the things I, I think emotionally I connect with like crazy, uh, this Anton Yelkin and uh, Felicity Jones film that I think is just absolute magic. And a film like this is there's an emotional quality because people are really just being themselves to some degree or another. And I, it's my dream to create something like that with looseness, with some outline. Like I know I want to go somewhere, but I don't know how we're going to get there. Right. Boyhood. Like we don't know necessarily where we're going, but we're going to get there. And there's a journey here. And that's far more important um, than the final frame. Uh, Man, and that is a, that is a good one. God, yes. That's a good one. Just because like the foresight and the patience and the, the, the just not, you're, you're not putting a label on anything. You're not give, planning too far ahead. You're just, yeah, that's a whole nother can of fish. Yeah, there. It really is. Uh, anyway, yeah, we're I'm waxing yeah. poetic at this point, but yeah, I would yeah. love to do that with you, man, for sure. Cool, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, well done. What are you gonna recommend this week? So I'm gonna for anyone who has yet to watch a Miyazaki film, My Neighbor Totoro is a great way to debut him uh, into your life and into your reper- repertoire. So I'm gonna recommend that. It's beautiful. It's emotional. It's fun. It's not so dramatic as some of his other films that that you know kids can't watch it. But at the same time, it's great for adults. It's just a good all around awesome film. So my neighbor Totoro is what I'm going to recommend this week. Nice. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I man, I'm having a really hard time because there's so many films. Oh my god, I I, I know. had no idea how deep. I'm just looking through Wong Kar Wai's catalog i had no idea how deep this thing is but i'm suddenly curious to kind of go through it all uh which is a lot but i'm gonna recommend there's a new show on hbo uh it's called tokyo vice i lately uh, as i was telling you and scott like i'm i'm really into kind of these period pieces uh especially the foreign films but asian even better that i don't know what it is i i love seeing other times of other cultures right like what's nostalgic to someone in asia to someone in korea what's nostalgia to them um and so tokyo vice is different though because it's also told from an american perspective so it's uh it takes place in like 1999 in tokyo as one would hope um tokyo vice set in antarctica but but it's a it's about a journalist and you're it's hitting on all the things that I really love. I love journalism stories and it stars uh, Anson Elgort and he's a journalist in like the late nineties in Tokyo um, exploring the Yakuza. And the first episode is directed by Michael Mann. I don't think this is a Michael Mann show though, uh, but he directs the first episode and I think it's beautiful. Uh, there's something about Tokyo, the, the the atmosphere, the culture that I just find really intriguing. I didn't grow up watching Asian cinema, and so discover it, discovering it, you know, after being a kid as an adult is just really fascinating to me. And kind of going back and dipping back into some of their history is uh, really fascinating. Um, and so I'm going to recommend Tokyo Vice. It's worth it. I think it, I think it's fantastic. I also have kind of an art spotlight, and it's super simple uh, but i think it's so the the title sequence for pachinko pachinko is a show on apple tv plus 
and it's about a uh, it's a it's also a period piece that takes place in like the 20s 30s korea and the late 80s japan and it's a pachinko parlor is like a, a gambling parlor and in america i think we would call it plinko if you've ever watched the price is right where you have all those weird little metal spines and you drop a uh ping pong ball down right and it kind of bounces around i think that's a a pachinko machine or that kind of thing uh, i'm still not completely clear sorry i'm very american and white so uh forgive my <laughs> my ignorance <laughs> but uh the the title sequence for this tv show is absolute magic i love it so much or i can't remember the name of the song but it brings me so much joy there's dancing uh, and they're dancing in a pachinko parlor uh, and they kind of cut between normal speed and slow motion and uh, watching everybody kind of dance around. And you're seeing everyone in all these uh, period uh, wardrobe costumes, like a, a little girl from like the 1915s, uh, South Korea. She's in her, her wardrobe and she's dancing around. I think that's my favorite moment because uh, there's something about watching like five-year-olds dance. It's uninhibited and completely just inspired by their emotions and um, you're seeing everyone dance it's magic watch it maybe the best title intro sequence of all time so there you, you heard it here first and i love right. i love title sequences like one of my recent favorites has been raised by wolves i love the sketch quality and the music um, and it's beautiful and emotional and game of thrones of course has one of the best uh title sequences of all time there's so many great title sequences house md has a great title sequence uh with massive oh, attack that's classic classic yeah. uh, and so i'm a connoisseur uh hopefully of, of title sequences and this i don't think i've seen one since maybe the wonder years that's brought me joy like there's something bittersweet about the wonder years this title sequence but this one is not bittersweet it's all joy and in that way i think it's worth uh watching and and i don't know enjoying <laughs> awesome great so stay tuned next week we're gonna do duel and that's d-u-a-l think there's a play on words that's going on <laughs> uh i'm excited about that one i have no idea what to expect it's 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 fun to be surprised but we also have more asian films on the way and so stay tuned for those as well we don't want to inundate you all at once with 50 asian films and so we're, we'll try to parse them out with more pop culture stuff i guess yeah and if you want to comment on this episode, tell me how I got all the history wrong. And uh, Wes, you moron, uh, that's not set printing. It's flugel bindering or whatever. Uh, you can do that at thepuzzlepodcast.com slash Chunking Express. And our quote of the day today is from the, the classic Quentin Tarantino. I like it when somebody tells me a story and I actually really feel that that's becoming like a lost art in American cinema. What do you think he means by that? That's a good question. And I, I love the slight obscurity to it, right? Uh, it's kind of ambiguous. Um, but to me, what that means is we are all spectacle now. Mm. And yeah. whenever you're all spectacle, yeah, you can you can put a story in that. I think Marvel does an incredible job of creating story and combining it with spectacle. And I, I know people, even Scorsese has gone on record as saying, you know, that Marvel, well, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I think the spirit of it was, that's not a, that's not a film. That's a movie, right? And it's this very obtuse, 
ambiguous thing that I completely agree with. I will be obtuse. (laughs) I don't mind. Um, that, you know, you're one is something to sit and enjoy. And the other is, uh, is less about being entertained and more about invoking you calling on you. Uh, like what you said earlier, like to, to think and to feel, um, and, and, and to be there with these characters, um, instead of, just having your your cotton candy and and saying mm, that was good and there's no nutritional value to say hey there's something here for your brain that it needs to process and that it's okay that you don't know all the answers that the filmmaker didn't hand you the the cue card of here's what you feel now and here's why you feel it and telling a story that I think Tarantino is talking about uh, is is less of the the former and more of the latter, right? I'm going to take you on a journey and there's something underneath all this that's going to resonate. Like there's something underneath Chunking Express. Like you could watch this um, and I don't think you watch this this way, but you could watch this and just say, you don't have anything to say, right? This is just a bunch of people standing around talking. It, or you can watch it and say, especially that second story, there are so many layers here. There are so many things that she's feeling that she's not saying. There's so many things that he's doing that undergirds what he's feeling because we know how he feels. And you're watching him and you're you're piecing together all these puzzle pieces that aren't all there. You're 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 forcing the audience to say, "Hey, here's a 5,000 piece puzzle piece uh, or puzzle and, you know, here's 600 pieces. Um, what do you see?" And I think that's what Tarantino is kind of driving at. Like story doesn't always have to be about putting every piece of the puzzle perfectly in combination and saying, here's your forest, (laughs) right? Uh, It's more about here's an idea of a forest and here's an idea about an idea of a forest. But here's an absolute truth that's running through, you know, this is a leaf and this is absolutely a leaf. Mm -hmm. Now you have to kind of see the tree. And that's okay. I, I don't know that that it's an artistic, whatever smorgasbord of nonsense and emotion. Um, and I think that's what he's getting at. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> I, I got nothing to add, to, nothing to add to that. I agree. I agree. There's a difference there and, and, uh, I love it. Great. Nice. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been really eye opening and, 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 one of my favorite episodes for sure i i totally agree wes make sure you join us next week where we're going to be covering duel and share us with your friends review us on itunes all that good stuff it all helps and if there's a film that you'd like to see please let us know and we'd love to uh, possibly cover it if we can uh but until next week i'm todd i'm wes go watch the movie stopped into a church the path along the way